Father, we thank you again for uh, just this whole week and all the great opportunities we have to grow uh, in our knowledge of you and grow in grace personally and grow close to one another. And um, we just pray once again that you're, you would be present with us in the seminar, that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, that um, uh, that what is useful here and is, is rooted in your wisdom and your wor- word, um, it might stick with us uh, and uh, and help us to to wrestle ourselves with maybe a personal experience of depression and anxiety, uh, but to also um, be able to help others around us and care for them well and be a source of wisdom and, and love and encouragement to them. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, if you, if you haven't figured out who I am yet, I'm Oliver Pierce. I'm the campus minister at Indiana University of Pennsylvania that I think most of you know is not in the state of Indiana. Um, and a, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, so everyone there is really confused about IEP and why it's called that. I uh, came up to Pennsylvania to go to Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, and that's sort of what got me in the uh, Pennsylvania world. And then uh, I, during that whole process, married my wife, Kim, that you've probably seen around here, and we've had, we have two little ones on there, Amelia, the oldest, and Julia, uh, that you probably heard screaming during worship. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I moved out to start RUF at IEP back in July of 2018. So I just finished up my third year at IEP, and we had a great year despite the crazy pandemic. Uh, but why why depression and anxiety? Why did I get signed up for the seminar? Well, one, I got signed up for the seminar because the guy who was supposed to do it was unable to come to this conference for a variety of reasons. And so we're like, man, we need someone to do this, especially because this has been such a crazy year for people mental health-wise. We can't just throw the seminar out. Uh, and I, I, I've done a lot of personal work on this, uh, read a lot of books, uh, partly because it's just been a personal struggle for me, probably more on the depression side, though as I have gotten older, <laughs> the anxiety has become more and more uh, of an issue rather than the depression. Um, so I, I'll get into more detail in the unique ways in which I've experienced it, but just know that part of the reason I'm doing the seminar is this is not something that's foreign to me. This is something I've personally experienced. Um, And another disclaimer, this is just an overview. This is not going to solve all your problems with depression or anxiety or all your friends' problems. Uh, I'm probably not going to go as deep as you would want in certain areas. I'm really just trying to give a big picture of what, what is the experience like, what might be causing it, and how do we actually move forward and, and have some hope and progress in the midst of, as we face it, especially as Christians. Um, and I've learned a lot from others uh, on this. I have to say, especially Sammy Rhodes, I actually went to his seminar on anxiety and depression uh, back in at summer conference when maybe I was a junior or senior in RUF at Middle Tennessee State. And I've just kind of followed a lot of him. If if you're on Twitter, you should definitely look him up and follow him because he's hilarious. Um, he actually kind of got like Twitter famous for a little bit. But uh, he he's he has wrestled with depression on a 
much, I think a much more deeper clinical uh, level than I have. He's been on medication. He's uh, just, he, he's almost committed suicide once. He's, he's gone deep in it. I, I have not gone quite that far. It, it's more of a chronic thing for me rather than really pronounced. So I gained a lot of wisdom from just hearing a lot of his experience on that more deeper clinical level. Um, and then as well, uh, there's going to be some books and a bibliography. So I meant to print off stuff, but again, because I did this last minute, I didn't get to print off everything, but I'm going to send that out on email and post on the group me if anybody wants sort of the PDF with all my notes and there'll be a bibliography on there. So a lot of books that have influenced me and then the Christian counseling and education foundation that's connected to the seminary I went to in Philadelphia. A lot of people, especially a guy named Ed Welch that I took classes with, they've been, uh, influential as I think through this stuff too. Um, something to note, uh, as we're going through stuff, if a question comes to your mind, one, I'm totally fine if you want to interject and ask it. And two, if you're like, I don't really want to ask that question, but I don't feel comfortable asking it. Feel free to text me. My number's up there. It's, you guys can read this font, right? Even people way in the back. Cool. Um, 865-257-2105. So do that. Um, one more thing about the format of this study. So today we're going to spend most of our time pretty much on depression. But depression and anxiety in some ways can be two sides of the same coin. Uh, often people that struggle with depression struggle with anxiety uh, a little bit and vice versa. Usually it might be more pronounced for, like like for me, I would say historically it's been more depression. Um, and But the way you deal with both of those uh, and, and some of the things we're going to hit overlap. So there may be some things that, like I say today about depression, that are totally applicable to anxiety. Um, and then there may be things I don't say until tomorrow that are applicable to, to depression, but just for the sake of time, uh, I'm just kind of splitting them up. So just be aware of that um, as we're going through it. Uh, and there might be a little bit of repetition, which is never a bad thing. helps us internalize it. So let's start out with just trying to define depression. And I want to throw it before I start talking a ton. I'd love to hear from any of you. Um, if you want to be super vulnerable and, and talk about your own experience of depression, what it's like, or uh, you could you could always pull the, well, my friend had this experience, whether that's true or or it's actually referring to you. Just what, what is your understanding of what it feels like to be depressed? How you might know that someone is depressed? So feel free, popcorn, throw it out. Or, yeah. So, are we already answering, right? Yep, yep, yep. Cool, okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Interactive. So, yeah, so, um, I have lots of friends, unfortunately, who have experienced depression. I have one who succeeded in a suicide attempt. And I have several who have called me um, because I'm a counseling friend um, prior to their suicide attempt. Um, So I am very familiar with the depression. Um, I'm very familiar with with folks who have gone to the mental hospital because their depression has um, gotten so severe. Um, But the way that I've had it explained to me and the way that I've experienced it to a lesser degree is that, um, you know, it's terrifying and that um, to see someone like regardless of if they're super clean 
distance, distance from them is that um, it's really tough to see someone go through that because um, offering them hope at a point in their life where they don't really have much hope is very difficult. And um, I have found that people who do have depression and are um, potentially suicidal um, or self-harming, that sometimes the only reason that they do not continue on their path is because um, there are other people who are looking out for them because they have a strong support system. Um, but it's, I mean, it's terrifying to see other people go through that or to you go through it yourself. Yeah, it is. Anybody want to add? That was good. Thanks for sharing all that. Uh, I personally have experienced depression. I quickly touched on it um, at a seminar, so working phase one. Uh, if I cry, sorry. But we already had someone cry at the last seminar, so yeah. you're good. <laughs> good. Um, but, like, most recently... I like I comment on and I explain that like I feel like a shell of myself as I was laying on the ground in my apartment, like on the floor of my apartment, I literally felt like a, a shell of myself. Like like I felt like there was nothing inside of me, like no feelings, like literally nothing physically inside of me. <clears throat> I just felt like a walking shell. And like like they were, and I was leaving field placement. And like I looked at all the kids that were down in education and I looked at all the kids around and at that point I, I was suicidal and I was like, if I were if I were to kill myself, all these kids would wonder what happened to Miss M. And that was hard. Because they wouldn't they wouldn't understand. Like they wouldn't know. And like they would blame themselves possibly, which would be really hard. And I I I attempted to suffocate myself. I, I didn't have a weapon technically at my house, but like I was just in my room and I lived with my parents at the time and I found a trash bag and I tied it around my head and um, as I started to black out, I pictured my family coming in the door and all of their, their facial expressions and I just like ripped it off as soon as I could. And just like picturing their, their expressions of like their support, like my support system, like finding out that I I did that, and like their guilt of like my depression, like really impacted me, because like my depression isn't because of them at all, so like that's hard, like that my depression I feel like impacts a lot of people around me. Yeah. Because like if I were to kill myself, it would impact. A lot of people around me. My grandfather committed suicide when I was six, and my uncle actually found him. And that was that messed up our whole entire family. And then we all still question if there was more that we could have done and stuff. And and like that's something hard to live with. And and like depression is something that like can't be fixed overnight. And my mom's like, you need to think of more coping mechanisms. So I'm like, that is a great idea, mom. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> but like, I almost checked myself into the, the psychiatric hospital again um, this semester. But at that point, like, because school was overwhelming and work was overwhelming. But at that point, I was like, checking myself into the psychiatric hospital would be, would make school even more overwhelming because I would get more behind. 
So like it was just like a it's just like a vicious cycle sometimes with depression because then I got anxious about about schoolwork. Yeah. Like if I were to get help, I could get more behind, and then it was just anxiety. So it becomes like a vicious cycle sometimes with depression. Yeah. Man, thanks for sharing all that. I'll definitely revisit a lot of that stuff. You're already, you know, you want to come up here and teach the rest of the seminar? Because <laughs> you're, you're hitting on a lot of stuff that, that we're going to hit on. Um, you know, the importance of having people around you and, um, and just the reality of what it's like. But let's, uh, let's dig into a little bit more of some of the things I want to hit. Um, so as it's kind of already been hinted at, this is depression's more than like, oh, I just feel low, I just feel sad. Like we we all experience that, and sometimes that's really appropriate. In fact, some of us are bad at that. Like something really bad happens, and we're just like, oh, it's cool, it's fine. You don't have any reaction. Like we we should have grief when a family member dies, or when you know something. You know, we fail a class, or, or just something really disappointing happens. But the weird thing about depression is that. It just doesn't, there's no circumstances that you can point to usually to be like, oh, that's, that's why I'm depressed. It's, it's this weird, ambiguous thing that you're like, why is this going on? Uh, and it, I like what C.S. Lewis it says here just about mental pain in general. He says, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The, three, the frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. And I remember I was going through a season of depression and I had a good friend who broke his leg skiing. And I was like, man, I wish I had a broken leg instead of depression. Like, because then I could be like, look, I have a broken leg. Like, feel bad for me. Like, open the door for me. Pay attention to me. Like, help me. But like, when you have depression, it's all inside of you and, and you, you feel worse for that. You, you feel uh, like there's nothing concrete you can point to. And, and so you kind of feel afraid and judged. Um, and, the, and Charles Spurgeon, he's a um, Christian. Uh, I mean, he was a famous pastor, Victorian pastor. He preached to like thousands and thousands of people before there were even microphones. Um, and he deeply struggled with depression and, and kind of gets at the same truth here in this quote. He says, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. And we're going into all this detail um, and why I appreciate it. What, what was your name? Both of your names. Maddie Morgan. and Morgan. I appreciated them sharing because part of one of the first steps in just facing and dealing with depression is just creating a culture and environment where people can talk about it and be honest about it and put it out there. And, you know, maybe some of you heard them share and it was like, oh, wait, I'm not the only one who's experienced this. Like the more that can happen uh, and the more people who don't have it can know what it's like and it could be like okay i know what's going on with my depressed friends so that's going to change how i treat them and it's going to cause me to help pray for them in certain ways and things like that that that's why we're spending all this time just thinking about what is this like um and you you guys hit at a lot of these things the characteristics the hopelessness the worthlessness the suicidal thoughts the lack of energy and just withdrawal and just feeling this emptiness inside 
Uh, another thing uh, is your thinking, it just becomes really distorted and broken. And Ed Welch gets at this in his article, Depression's Odd Filter. Um, he says, someone says to you, I love you, and you hear nothing. Actually, you hear something. You hear a little voice in your brain that says, I'm worthless. You're only saying that you love me because you think you have to. Somehow from the mouths of other people to your ear, all the words of blessing and encouragement get tumbled upside down and backward and confirm your suspicions about yourself. You're abject failure, unloved, unlovable, and everyone knows it. There are a hundred variations. You look nice today. Push it through the filter of depression and you get not true. I know I'm ugly. This is your brain on depression. And, and just to take a, a slightly, a little bit more humorous take on it, um, because that's another thing that can I'll get into that can help a little bit with depression. Uh, there's this poem by Philip Lope uh, that sort of gets at this distorted thinking, and especially the kind of this, we get this idea that we can just read other people's minds and we know what they're really thinking. And so he wrote uh, this poem, trying to get at this. He says, we who are your closest friend, friends feel the time has come to tell you that every Thursday we have been meeting as a group to devise ways to keep you in perpetual uncertainty, frustration, discontent, and torture by neither loving you as much as you want nor cutting you adrift. Your analyst is in on it, plus your boyfriend and your ex-husband, and we have pledged to disappoint you as long as you need us. In announcing our association, we realize we have placed in your hands a possible antidote against uncertainty, indeed, indeed against ourselves. But since our Thursday nights have brought us to our community of pur purpose, rare in itself, with you as the natural center, we feel hopeful you will continue to make unreasonable demands for affection, if not as a consequence of your disastrous personality, then for the good of the collective." It's funny. I mean, I think depression, we really do create these whole elaborate scenarios in our, in our minds of what people are thinking of us and what's going on. So that's, that's another characteristic of depression. Um, and then I also think it's just worth noting that depression affects everyone, successful people uh, that accomplish a lot of things. And this can maybe give us a bit of hope. Uh, they they've had depression and Abraham Lincoln, um, there's a book in the bibliography that's, that's all about his depression. And it's actually, uh, I think the title is like how it fueled his success. Um, but this is one journal entry, uh, that he wrote. I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode. I shall not. To remain as I am it is impossible. I must die or be better, Appears it appears to me. Um, and then Nico Case, more modern example. I was listening to a podcast where she was talking about uh, her depression. And uh, yeah, I love here how she, it's like the last thing she says there, that you, you lose your ability to transmit electricity or something. It's like you're, you're trying to plug in, you're trying to plug into relationships with other, others, you're trying to plug into life and nothing's happening. It's just empty. It's just this deadness. And then also Christians get depressed. 
And there's some people don't think that's that's possible out there. Um, but again, I gave you the, the example of Charles Spurgeon. He famously struggled with depression, and he was a. a oh, go ahead. Something about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he had a struggle. It was sometime like during near near the Civil War. Uh, his um, son died. He was like twelve from. Uh, it was like, it was like cholera. But and also his uh, wife was having some uh, mental health issues and. Yeah, so there were a lot of other things going on in the background that fed into that. Um, so that's true. And that's that's a good point to make is that yeah, normally depression on the front end of it can see it can seem like oh this isn't connected to circumstances, but as you dig into it, you might find oh actually it's it's okay that I'm depressed. Like there are some things going on that are important. Um, go ahead. Like quick right off that, like like depression sort of like always there too, and then circumstances like that can like trigger it to like get worse. Like depression is always there. Like I'm medicated for my depression. And if I don't take my meds, and then, like, I get swamped with, with work and schoolwork, and then my friends, like, turn on me on top of it. I'm like, cool, perfect storm. Um, and then I'm like, got to take start taking my meds and start talking to my therapist and, like, try to get back on track. But, like, depression's always there, and then the circumstances just really trigger it to, like, pop up even more. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And we're gonna we're gonna dig a little bit more into that. Um, I I love this passage from the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's the PCA's uh, doctrinal belief document. If you haven't heard of that, that's as a as a teaching elder in, in the PCA. I'm saying I believe this, uh, except maybe I have a few scruples here and there. Uh, you're allowed to do that, um, but the, it says here, and this is talking. It's not only talking about uh, depression per se, but I think here when it's talking about assurance of salvation, it's connected to depression. Um, And it's saying that it can be shaken, it can be diminished, intermitted, uh, and there's a lot of different reasons it gives why here, but I want to point out in particular, uh, it says there, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light, um, that depression may happen and there might be no clear reason in the moment. It might be just part of God's mysterious providence for your life in that moment. Um, so that's an important reason to, to realize. And that that's not, it's not because you're a bad Christian because you're sinning, because you're not praying enough, because you're doing all this stuff. It's just where God has you at this point in your life. Uh, but as the rest of the quote says, he's not going to leave you there. And, and that's the hope, and we'll dig into that hope more later on. And then, of course, if, if this is such a part of our experience, we would expect to see it in the Bible. Um, we see it with the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He wants God to take his life, and we're going to dig into a little bit more of that passage later on. Um, the Jeremiah passage is a, I did have someone read it, but I'll just for the sake of time, He's saying the same thing. Cursed is the day that I was born. 
he wishes he was dead. And he, he's known famously as the weeping prophet because his ministry was characterized so much um, by sorrow and difficulty. And then we have sadness and depression all over our psalm and prayer book uh, as well. Uh, and Psalm 88, I think of in particular because that psalm, there's no like, oh, and then God came in and saved me and made everything all better and it's all great now. Like, it just ends. It's him crying out to God, Haman, this uh, uh, wise I was going to say wise guy, wise man. He was different than David, but he, he, uh, wisdom, he wrote a lot of wisdom literature. He was in that kind of field. But he, uh, it's just him crying out to God the whole time. And then at the end being, it's my, my companions are darkness. Like I have nothing. Like there's no, there's no answer immediately in that psalm itself. And I, I think the fact that that's in the psalm books, I mean, imagine if we sang that. Imagine if you went to church on Sunday morning and saying saying Psalm eighty eight, like I think that would be jarring to most people. They'd be like, "That's not very Christian." Like, doesn't Jesus fix everything? Um, Jesus does fix things, but maybe not exactly in the timing the way we expect. Um, and then Psalm forty two, we're going to look at that a little bit more later on. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Um, so I'll throw it back out to you guys briefly again, uh, and you've already touched on this a bit, um, but what are what are some of the things that you think could be at root with depression? Let's let's try to be quick on this. Just throw out a few things. Definitely lack of, of support group. Lack of support group. I was about to say lack of sleep. Lack of sleep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jim. What were you gonna say? No, I was just agreeing. Oh, agree. <laughs> Maddie? I think it does contribute to that. Yeah. Genetics. Genetics. Anything else? Sin. Sin. Okay. Um, anything else? Last chance. Well, there's a reason I, I'm throwing it out, because um, this is one of my biggest agendas for the whole talk, um, is that depression is, is complex. It's not just one thing and there's it was interesting uh on monday when we did this when i asked that question i actually got an answer from all three of those fields and and we got so the sleep you could probably put that in the medical and then genetics and maybe chemical imbalances stuff you could put that in the medical as well or the physical bodily aspect um sin would certainly fall into the spiritual aspect of it and then the one thing we didn't really touch on um maybe Maddie touched on when she was hearing a little bit deeper was kind of the emotional component of like what happened in your childhood and with your family and how you were raised and different things that have happened to you in your past and how that's shaped you. Um, and each of there's kind of, you know, you encounter out in the world, often counselors or pastors or people that they'll latch on to just one aspect of this and they'll be like, that's it. That's the only problem. And that's where a lot of problems start happening. Um, and it's ultimately, it doesn't sync up with the Bible. Because what we see in the Bible is we're, the whole world is broken in all kinds of ways. Um, the, there's a common distinction of the world, the flesh, and the devil that, that um, theologians will talk about. Of like These are the different things affecting us. Like our bodies themselves are broken. The culture that we live in is broken. Uh, and then we do have like 
temptations and, and, and spiritual warfare going on from like there, uh, there are dark spiritual forces that are trying to affect us. All those things are going on. And then the other big picture thing that's going on is our, we're united in our body and soul. We have a psychosomatic union that what happens in our soul affects our body. What happens in our body affects our soul. Um, this quote up here, you maybe already read it um, from John Murray, theologian that helped found the seminary I went to. He, he goes so far to say that man is body. Not just man has a body, but man is body. I mean, that's why, you know, when we die and, and believers go and be with Christ, that's not the final resting place. Final resting place is in the resurrection where we're back bodily with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. And so kind of how this, uh, you know, there's lots of different components that, that factor into this. There's what's going on in our own heart and soul. And usually that's a lot more with, with the sin, the personal sin is going on. Uh, and those things, like we've had this need for certain certainty. We have fear of man, we have guilt, we have perfectionism going on. And then that's shooting out of us these different thoughts and, they, and these different emotions and these different behaviors um, and then we have what's going on in our body. Yes, yeah, certainly lack of sleep is going to affect how we're doing emotionally. Uh, and then on top of that, um, we've got interpersonal things going on. Maybe we had perfectionist parents. Maybe we don't have any close friends. Maybe uh, we have a really difficult work situation. And then we've got cultural exp- expectations and beliefs and, and ideas out there. I mean, we're a very anti-suffering culture right now. Our culture doesn't really know what to do with suffering. Um, that's certainly going to affect us as well. So the big thing I'm trying to get here is that it, it's complex, and you need to consider all the different factors that might be um, getting into your depression or or your friends as well. Uh, flip to First Kings 19, uh, verses 1 through 8, if you have a Bible with you. Somebody, anybody willing to read that? I got you. Cool. Mm-hmm. One, one through eight. All right. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the God deal with me, he had ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that against them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and baked, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So what does God do in response to Elijah's despair here? 
Yeah. I love just like how non-spiritual that is. He's just like, yeah, you you just need to eat. He's like, you just need to eat and get some food. Um, I mean, if you're depressed, it it might be worth looking at your diet, looking at how much sleep you have. If those things are totally out of whack, you shouldn't be surprised that there's something out of whack here. And maybe if you have a friend who's depressed, like the best thing you can do for them is not, you know, give them coping mechanisms or, or, you know, tell them all the things they need to do to change, to do better, but just cook them an amazing meal and have them over for dinner. That, and that, in a sense, I don't even really want to call this physical because it's dealing, it's dealing with the heart issue. It's spiritual. But, I mean, the way we perceive it, we, we divide those things out that I almost have to say it that way. Um, and I think this could p- play into as well um, if you're just a workaholic um, and you never take time for rest and just self-care days. That's become a – I feel like that's a big thing. You're always talking about that at IEP on Instagram and stuff. Um, it may be a little too trendy, but I think there's some truth in that, that that's really valuable. Um, and then as well, as already has been hinted at, there could be something even deeper that's going on biologically with you uh, that, again, we shouldn't be surprised by this because of our theology. Uh, and David Murray talks about this helpfully in his book, Christians Get Depressed Too. He says, as the brain is the most complex organ in our body, it is liable to be the most affected of all our organs by the fall. And as processing our thoughts is the main activity of our brain, we can expect this area at times to fail and break through no fault of our own with subsequent emotional and behavioral problems. That isn't to deny that a person is responsible for how he responds to mechanical, chemical, or electrical failures and faults in any part of his body. I love how that just captures the nuance of, yes, there's something broken about our body, but also, that's not the only thing that's broken. There's something broken in our soul, and it's, it's important how we respond to what's broken in our body and in our brains. Uh, that we, that's the sort of the sweet spot we're going after. Um, one more thing that, that popped in my mind in terms of just physical body causes, and uh, I took this picture of my daughter the other day. She just spontaneously did this. I'm just sitting there on the couch reading she just goes and lays in the sun coming through the window and puts her shirt over her head. So um, I hope you get a kick out of that. But seasonal affective disorder is a real thing, especially in Indiana, Pennsylvania, where it is cloudy and snowing all the time. I don't know if it's that way in Penn State or WVU or Millersville. But, um, and so you got to factor that in. Like, take vitamin D. Cut yourself some slack. You're not going to be able to operate at the same level, and you may need to spend more time focusing on your diet, exercising, spending time with friends, and you may not be able to excel at school or do certain things that you want just because you know this is a vulnerable season for me physically and just what's going on in my environment, Um, so I need to do that. And the same could be true for different stressful or lonely seasons we have in our lives. Um, so interpersonal uh, causes as well. And again, this was already hinted at um, with Maddie. It's, it's no coincidence. And again, thank you so much for just being vulnerable and sharing that. But with what happened with your grandfather, 
I, I'm not surprised to hear that you would struggle with depression. Uh, my, my mom, and honestly, I think my dad too, on a more low grade level, have struggled with depression. My mom was on medication often. She's been on it off and on. Um, you shouldn't, it's, it's easy to just ignore that and to sort of think, oh, it's just me and my problems and what's going on. But it's like, if you have mental health issues in your family, that's, that's going to have an effect on you. And that's not your, that's not your fault. So be aware of it, but also give yourself some grace because of that. Um, and there may be other things that happen. I mean, certainly trauma and abuse and, and certain painful circumstances in our childhood, um, can shape us and shape our personalities in, in profound ways. Um, you know, if you're a, an INFP like me and an Enneagram uh, 4, and you've been shaped that way probably by some of your childhood experiences, you're probably going to struggle with depression. I'm curious, how many INFPs in the room here? Us oh, just being Ruben. Darn it. How many NFs? Geneva's got an NF. Okay, there's at least some NFs. You're in tune with your feelings. Um, <laughs> wait, what? INTJ. INTJ, okay. Everyone's affected. I'll take back that point. But, I mean, you, you, you get the general point that I'm saying. Um, and then there's the heart and just spiritual uh, causes. Certainly, um, personal sin can have an effect. If someone... Someone want to flip to Psalm 32, verses 3 through 4, and read that for me. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, whoever has it, just go. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So that's a Psalm 32 is a psalm all about uh, God's forgiveness, um, and, and David's there talking about a point where he what he was hiding his sin, he wasn't confessing it, wasn't bringing it to God, and it had a physical effect on him. Again, you see that psychosomatic union going on there. That what what he was doing in his soul was affecting his body and affecting how he felt. Um, and, and that's what the, I think the Westminster Confession was getting at in that little clause there. It says, you know, we can lose assurance or it can be diminished by falling into some special sin, which, which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit. So we certainly need to consider that. We, it, we shouldn't put it out of the picture. And then, like I already touched on, what's your theology of suffering? Do you, how does that fit into the Christian life for you? Were, you? were you raised in a tradition where suffering just... If you had suffering in your life, it was just assumed, well, that's because of you just don't pray enough and you don't have enough faith. Um, is it something you just never really thought about? Because uh, that's, that's going to affect your experience. If you think this world is meant to be a five-star hotel, uh, but when in reality it's uh, living in a tent <laughs> out in the woods, um, you're going to be really frustrated. But if you realize, hey, this is a pilgrimage, we're in the wilderness uh, this is not a five-star hotel. That's going to bring things a little bit more into alignment uh, within your own feelings and your own body. And then uh, I could say a lot more on spiritual warfare, but it's more I just want you to be aware that, yes, there are evil spiritual forces out there that don't want us. They want Christians to be depressed. 
Dayton wants you to be depressed. And um, I remember I was really depressed when I first showed up at IEP because I was like, what the heck did I sign up for? Um, starting this ministry from scratch. You know, I had zero students when I showed up. No one was looking for RUF at IEP. And I'm just wandering around, meeting people, trying to get something happening. And uh, and I remember my area coordinator just being like, you know, maybe there's some spiritual warfare going on here. Like, do you, like, Satan doesn't want another ministry established on a campus. He doesn't want more people to come to know Jesus and to grow in their faith. Like, that's a factor in this. So, so, so be aware of that. Um, so all that to say that this is a complex issue, and so it's going to need a complex answer. Um, and I, I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He has a great book called Spiritual Depression. Um, he says, many Christian people, and in fact, are in utter ignorance concerning this realm where the borderlines between the physical, psychological, and spiritual meet. Frequently, I have found that such church leaders had treated those whose trouble was obviously mainly physical or psychological in a purely spiritual manner. And if you do so, you not only help, you aggravate the problem. I know a guy, a student who told me that he, he was in counseling for anxiety and the counselor was basically like, yeah, you just have a demon of anxiety. And it was not helpful at all. Like he, he, he had a, a, a clinical anxiety that honestly just needed some medication and he needed to go through some techniques of how to deal with his intrusive thoughts and things. Um, that, 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 counselor, as well-intentioned as they may have been, aggravated the problem. And we don't want to do that in our own lives and with other people. Um, so I'm just going to kind of hit, again, just uh, several things that I think will help us have hope and move forward. Uh, tur- turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. If anybody's got that, I'm willing to read. Yeah, go for it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So I don't think I need to belabor this point too much because Maddie, uh, and I've already forgotten your name again. I'm Morgan. Morgan. Maddie and Morgan have already touched on this. That, And Morgan said especially that w- what kept these people from committing suicide and going all the way, it was, it was all the people around them. Um, and this is, again, so central to the Christian life. You don't, the Christian life is not a solo project. It's the main uh, pronoun is is the plural pronoun in the Christian life, uh, and I, I one of my favorite stories of, uh, in church history of this happening is this friendship between John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, and William Cooper, uh, who also was a poet and wrote a lot of uh, hymns. Uh, but Will, William Cooper deeply struggled with depression. He was institutionalized. He. Uh, I believe, had suicide attempts, and eventually Newton becomes his pastor, and and Newton has his own history, and some of you may know that, of he was a slave trader, 
and totally just ungodly guy uh, that has this radical conversion and later on becomes a pastor. And so I think he had a particularly tender heart because of that. But he came alongside William Cooper and just was an incredible friend to him. And I love one of the practical things he did was he got him involved in this effort to produce this hymnal for the church. And so um, we still sing today some of the hymns that Cooper wrote. God, God moves in a mysterious way. I absolutely love that hymn, the lyrics. I mean, gosh, that's a good hymn to, to read when you're depressed or to sing. Um, and there's a fountain filled with blood, that hymn as well. Um, so all that to say that that community makes such a difference, and I'm glad some people have already realized that in their experience with it. So I'm just reinforcing that. Um, and maybe I'll cr- encourage you as well, you know, if you're depressed and you came to this conference, like kudos to you, you could have been like, I don't want to be around people. Uh, I don't know. Is this conference really, you know, that filter depressions filter? Am I really going to enjoy the conference? What if this happens at the conference? No, you may, you probably had those thoughts, but you came anyway. Uh, and you're already making that effort. So just want to encourage you in that. Um, so counseling, uh, Certainly, that's valuable, and I, I have cognitive behavioral therapy up here because that's just what I'm the most familiar with. Um, that is certainly not the only type of therapy out there that's useful or helpful, um, but uh, I do think it is, and it's honestly, it's scientifically proven to have almost as much effect as antidepressants, and I think the reason why it's so effective is that it, it realizes it has sort of the biblical worldview that we are this interconnected psychosomatic union in which our thoughts affect our emotions and affect our behaviors. Um, and the way we see the world is not, it, it's not just over here. It, it filters into all those things. So sometimes we need to address the things that are distorted in our mind. And we're going to dig into this a little bit more with anxiety tomorrow for the sake of time. Um, but we need to learn to address those and, and that will begin to, have the reverse effect as we address those thoughts. It'll start to change slightly our, our feelings and our behaviors. Uh, and it's something I think you can do with a counselor or even you can learn to do it on uh, on your own. I, I uh, maybe a year or two ago started listening to a podcast with this uh, non-Christian CBT uh, psychologist and it's called Feeling Good is the name of the podcast. But he goes through cognitive distortions and we're going to, again, we're going to touch on that tomorrow. And I kind of learned from that just how to recognize it and address it in my own life. So that's a good research there, the Feeling Good podcast. Um, medication, again, I, I totally think medication can be a good thing. You want to add something there? Yeah, quick to the counseling. If anyone is looking for a counselor, I moved to Lancaster, and my counselor was in Harrisburg, and like I stopped going there for, for a while because um, my insurance didn't cover her anymore. But um, a group on campus told me about psychologytoday.com. Uh, you can go on there, and I found my Christian counselor actually on there. Um, and you can go in and you can put filters. So like I put in depression, anxiety, PTSD, and then I put in that I wanted a Christian counselor that was female. And then you can put in your insurance, so then it only pops up with people that specialize in your kind of like therapy that you want. And then you can put in a Christian counselor, and then you can put in like gender if you want a specific gender counselor, and then your your insurance. That's, so then you make like you make sure that they check like that they take your insurance. So if anyone is looking for a therapist, 
that's a super easy way to find one. And then you can message them right through the website. That's cool. Psychology Today. Psychologytoday.com. It's a really, really easy website to use. And like it shows like a picture of them. Some of them have a video and it gives it like a little bio about them. And it shows how far they are. A lot of them are doing telehealth right now. Like I telehealth with her every Monday. But she's really awesome. And like at the end of our session, she like ties it back to God and like how I can connect with God about like my problems and like like really ask him for strength throughout the week and stuff. So it's really helpful. Because I my counselor before four wasn't Christian, but I'm really benefiting from a Christian counselor now. Yeah. No, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. Um yeah, the point I'm trying to make here, going back to this on medication, is with this Ed Welch quote, is just that it's good, it can work, but it's not going to fix everything. And really the way you should view it is, okay, I'm going to get on this medication so I can then address what's going on with the other physical aspects of my life or the emotional background things that are going on or even what's going on with me spiritually. Because, um, yeah, medicine's not going to get rid of guilt and fear and, and self-loathing and, and d- things that are distinctly have to do with our broken relationship with God because of sin and our relationship with others. Um, as well, I've already kind of hinted at <laughs> just laughter. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I was listening to Sammy Rhodes on this kind of reviewing and thinking about it. And he talked about, I think it was him or someone else uh, was depressed and a pastor uh, the first thing they did with him was just give him uh, a, a DVD set of Seinfeld <laughs> and just said, go, you know, go watch an episode of Seinfeld every night with your friends. And again, that's not a silver bullet either, but there's something about, uh, as G.K. Chesterton says here, laughter is something in it common with the ancient winds of faith and inspiration. It unfreezes pride and unwinds secrecy. It makes men forget themselves in the presence of something greater than themselves. Um, so, so certainly, whatever that is, whether it's Office or Parks and Rec or something else, I know, I know Jess is not about to watch The Office, so but you got to find something else. Or Parks and Rec, sorry. Hater's going to hate, but... Uh, <laughs> That's certainly something as well. Uh, well, let's think. Oh, it's been a little bit of time wrapping up. Uh, just thinking about this from a, perhaps more directly spiritual uh, direction. Hey, flip to Psalm forty-two um, in your Bibles, or or you can. I have half the Psalm up here, um, but it might be good for you just to do that. Anybody willing? We'll just read the verses that are up here. I think that'll be fine. Somebody read that. I'll make Jess read it since I keep picking on her. I know. I just keep picking on you. One to six. Just read one to six. As the deer plants for flowing streams, so plants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Will they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and I'd lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul. Do you want to keep going? Uh, we'll stop there. Okay. Um, how, how is the psalmist dealing with his despair and perhaps oppression in this moment in the psalm? What Anything stick out to you? It's like a, he's, first off, it's like it's a recognition of like what he's going through and the experience he's experiencing. And then because of that recognition, it's a presentation to God. He's presenting himself and the way he feels and his emotions to God and pleading with God to um, take care of him. Um, and he's like just addressing those questions that like we lay awake at with night sometimes. Like, God, where are you? Like, why can't I feel you? Why are, where are you in the midst of my pain? Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Who is he talking to anyone else other than God? Himself. Yeah. Uh Martin Lloyd Jones writes about the psalm. Um he has a sermon on the psalm in the spiritual depression book. He says, The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of us talking to ourself. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Someone is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. The main art and the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, of who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. I think this is why I'm a fan of CBT and I think it connects with the Christian worldview is that it's developing that discipline of instead of just letting all these thoughts and things coming at you and just listening to them, you, you no, you speak back to that part of yourself that is sending those thoughts your way. You say, no, is that actually reality? Is there actually, is, is it actually true that I'm hopeless and I'm, I'm worthless and there, there's nothing good in my life and that it would be better off if I just died? Is that actually true? Let's look at the evidence and, and not just the evidence on how awesome I am, but evidence on on how awesome God is and what he is doing in my, in my life and what he has promised to do. And so that's what Psalm 42 is really trying to teach us. And, and we'll get into some more stuff that I think will apply to depression as well um, with some other Psalms tomorrow. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to close with just this reminder of uh, how the gospel and Jesus's work connects to our sorrow and to our depression. I actually, I preached on uh, Psalm 88. I, I really like doing that. I like picking the weirdest, the hardest passages in the Bible and like being like, how could I preach a sermon on this? Um, and so Psalm 88 is one of those sermons. 
And I think the thing I realized the more I dug into it, um, which is true of a lot of the Psalms, but it's, it's easier to see with some, like Psalm 22, why, oh God, have you forsaken me, that Jesus recites on the cross. But the Psalms are about Jesus, that, that Jesus is, is that one in Psalm 88 that, that is crying out and is not hearing God and his companions are darkness, that he is the truly forsaken one, that he, it, that's why Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows, that he took on our griefs, took on our sorrows. He is intimately aware of this experience and the brokenness of our brains and our bodies, and he has entered into the world to experience that himself, to have it all laid on him, so that, that one day, ultimately, when he comes back to make all new things new, um, he can restore it all, and he can be with us in the new heavens and the new earth and wipe away all our tears. And so that's our ultimate hope. Um, it's hard to latch on to that sometimes, and that's why we need to hit all the other aspects as well. Um, but I, I wanted to close with that. And we're right at uh, 12 o'clock now, but I'm, I'm glad to stick around. It, basically, at this point, um, feel free Stick around if you want to ask me some questions. Um, but if you want to go run to lunch, um, go ahead and do that. And let me let me briefly just close us in prayer. Father, we, we thank you that we, um, we know that you are with us in these struggles. And we see that so clearly in Jesus, that, that he became flesh and moved into our neighborhood and that he was a man of sorrows and experienced the deep brokenness of this world. And he didn't shy away from it, but he, he took all of it upon himself. Um, and even now, he, in his resurrection, in his ascension, um, for all those who trust and believe in him, he is praying for us. He is with us in our struggles. He is a sympathetic high priest. And so we pray you'd help us to have that more deeply rooted in our hearts. And we pray you give us the wisdom and strength to do some of the other things that we've looked at today that are helpful. Um, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Thanks for coming. Tomorrow we'll look at anxiety.